Hello friends, uh, my name is Steve and we're here today to discuss characters again because we didn't have enough time last time. I think we just, like Susanna said, we barely scratched the surface. So we have lots more to discuss on this one. So Susanna, uh, start us off with an introduction, please. Hello, my name is Susanna Imaginario. I'm a writer and, uh, uh, well, I, I struggle to call myself a YouTuber, but I also run a YouTube channel called Den of the Weird. And I like to talk about books stories. And uh, Paramita. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, I'm a member of the Page Chewing Forum. I'm a general reader. I like to read a variety of genres, and I like to discuss books. And Jose. Uh, hi, I'm Jose. I run the Jose's Amazing Worlds YouTube channel, and I can also be found lurking around the page chewing forums and jared thanks for joining us ah thank you for having me again um i'm jared i uh i run the fantasy thinker youtube channel and um i write a blog here on pagechewing.com on the creative crossroads blog and i had a fun time doing that Yes, and I'm sorry I missed last week. That sounded very interesting. Well, we missed it too, so you didn't miss it. <laughs> this is actually it was actually two weeks ago, and we were just talking because Carl uh, yeah, Carl right. Diabra was here, and he pretty much kept us on track, which rarely rarely happens. We usually get off on weird tangents, but we still managed to derail time to time. But uh, Jose had a had an idea, so will you start us off? Okay, so uh, last time we talked about so two weeks ago we talked about what we liked about characters and we looked up we talked about understanding character motivations and their backstories or maybe a character's arc that made them interesting and we talked a lot about Jamie Lannister how he went from being an evil sort of very unlikable character to having some sort of redemption or having some sort of inner journey that made it really interesting we talked about things like that. We talked about relationships between characters and, and that sort of thing. But last week when I was talking to Susanna, I was thinking, well, some characters are actually cool just, just by themselves. Um, and I'm thinking about maybe more traditional fantasy, but like uh, Gandalf. As soon as he appears on the page, you go, that's a cool character, and you don't need his motivations, you don't need the backstory, you don't need anything. You go, that's a really cool character. And obviously, as the story moves along, he doesn't go through any... Well, he doesn't go through... He, he goes through some character arc, but it's it's not like it on the same... It's not on par with, Bil, uh, with Bilbo's... Uh, sorry, with Frodo's um, story arc or Bilbo's story arc. His is a bit more sort of subtle and, hmm. and so on. I go, well, what about characters that are just cool right off the page? Like, how how does that happen? Hmm. And can anyone think of... So, like, my example is... I'm sorry, Susanna, because we talked about it last week. I, I'm, I'm joining a new Call of Cthulhu role-playing game next week, and I had to create a character for the game. And I thought, what would Fun. be cool... And I just said, oh, a Bosnian sort of terrorist who migrates from... But basically, an ex-French foreign legion Bosnian soldier. 
who ends up in Cairo. And I thought, well, that's a cool character just in and of itself. An ex-Foreign Legion sort of, you know, the battered old gruff bear sort of character. Um, so have you guys encountered any cool characters off the page? And maybe if we just go sort of clockwise from me, so Susanna. Oh, gosh. Uh, so many. Um, I I was laughing when you with Gandalf as an example. Yeah, he's pretty cool from, from the beginning, you know. Just let the reader know that he's a wizard. And you're like, oh, no, that makes him in interesting. But it does go from to quite an arc. You know, it, Gandalf the Grey, Gandalf the White, that, that was quite the progression. I guess his personality <laughs> doesn't change much, to be fair. Um, let's see. <clears throat> Can I think about it? <laughs> I need time to collect my thoughts. All right. There's just too many. We'll, sk we'll, skip, that. we'll skip that stone, Jared. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Well, Gandalf is cool right off the bat <laughs> because, um, like like Susanna said, he's, it's mentioned he's a wizard, but he's also um, he also has uh, this this otherworldly origin that you see through the other characters' eyes, and so that gives him that sense of that aura of mystery and stuff like that, which makes him cool. Um, and uh, you know, you mentioned making your character for Cthulhu. And um, but right off the bat, you gave him you gave that character this slight little history that's that's interesting, and and you know he's like a he's like a, a soldier, a mercenary, so he already has all these uh, assumed skills that you bring to the party, you know, and that's the cool factor, I guess, that you would put into that. Um, it's different than when you have a character that is a blank slate kind of character hmm. where you have to, where that character has to get built up through action or dialogue. Um, you know, so it all depends on how it's approached, I guess, through the writing. So like off the page, you go Frodo, very bland, very blank slate, nothing yeah. particular. Gandalf, you go straight away. He can make color smoke rings in the sh shape of ships or whatever. So, um, I don't know. Uh, what do you think, Paramita? Any any characters that right off the first paragraph you go, those are really interesting. Uh, I I'm not going to repeat a uh, lot of the rings. I, I was actually frantically looking at my shelves because <laughs> my memory is <laughs> not. I'm, I'm uh, going to. So I, I thought. I thought. <laughs> yeah, I thought of this uh, character. Um, William of Baskerville, who is uh, the main one of the main characters in *The Name of the Rose* by Umberto Eco, which is uh, historical fiction but murder mystery, and uh, he is this uh, luminescent personality right from the beginning. One of the reasons for this is this story is told from the perspective of his protege uh, Adso, who is uh, training to be a monk and who is uh, sort of doing an apprenticeship or the ab uh, the abbey equivalent or the monastery equivalent of an apprenticeship with this with this personality William of Baskerville and in that age of um, where religious uh, norms are quite strict uh, there is a lot of rigidity uh, 
and so is mesmerized at the way william of baskerville thinks and because we are reading from adso's perspective so william of baskerville stands out as this beacon of rationality as this person who is going to um solve whatever is about to happen uh this very very keen observationalist from the very beginning and so yes that was a character that was uh, mesmerizing i would say sherlock holmes mm. Pretty, yes. pretty much a uh, a a study same, in same, scarlet same character. Uh, is <laughs> yeah exactly it's... exactly i i didn't say poirot because uh, i think christie imbues poirot with lot of personality traits to make him lovable and to make him very very interesting to the reader for example he has to have all his eggs of the same size and they need to be symmetric and uh, things like this so she, she imbues poro with a lot of personality but uh, i would say that uh, sherlock holmes and uh, the william of baskerville are two characters which susanna correctly said that it's actually i mean it's modeled on that archetype right of the bat i'm interested in them and i have confidence that they know what they are doing and uh, it's going to be interesting to follow their journey hmm And, and what about you Steve any any characters you can think of that just off the first page you go that's interesting that's uh one worth sort of following around uh even though I'm not even though I'm not a big fan of the series um well it's fine I'm not, I don't dislike it but uh, I think Logan Ninefingers comes to mind like he just has that um he just seems cool but I also wonder because we talked about Frodo being a blank slate Does that so I guess we can all agree that makes him less interesting because he is a blank slate? Do we I guess give if we put a if we have a an idea of who a character is and we can apply certain traits to them on page 1 whereas Frodo is like we have no idea really what what his personality is or what his motivations are. So is that is that just because we like we like knowing who these characters are, we like knowing kind of what to expect or is it more about the mystery of unfolding who a character like Frodo is? Well, I think because a couple of weeks ago we talked about, you know, the character journey so all that sort of stuff. And I was thinking just like the opposite, like how did you get a reader to engage with a character from the from the very beginning? And from going around the the table, the room, um <laughs> I was thinking whether are there any sort of archetypal characters that just because they are that archetype you straight away engage with so like Jarrod said as soon as you have a wizard that's cool so it could be Harry Dresden and Harry Dresden is cool just because he's a wizard or Gandalf is or because you know then you got the characters like in realm of the other links where you have to grow with them along off the page they're not particularly interesting but then as I'm rumbling here Glotka in in the first um first lord trilogy right off the page you go well, that's a cool character and obviously there's nothing cool about him he's a, he's a cripple and he's this sort of jaded cynical person but all you need is two lines of dialogue and you go yeah so i'm just wondering what's that x factor that makes a character just pop off the page from the word go intelligence rationality just okay. you sense that they have a wealth of knowledge sense mm-hmm. that they yeah that they, they are intelligent 
So, so is Glotka another Gandalf, basically? Is it that archetypal sort of the, the, the sage? No. I mean, uh, there, there's, there's a, there's a, a opposite of Gandalf. I mean, not to spoil First Law too much, but I mean, there's, uh, there's, there's a personality who is basically the mage, and then the mage is well, we think the mage is uh, is is in control. I mean, Abercrombie very much plays with that expectation. Then it's like, oopsie. <laughs> so I I don't think I I don't think Lokta is the is the for me personally was not the re- in my in my reading it was not the parallel to Gandalf. Well, no, I was just going off what Susanna said about being the rational, the intelligent one, the one that knows something that nobody else knows but is it, it, it knowing that it's gandalf turned on its head it's like gun it's like gandalf through a funhouse mirror is that why we find him entertaining and the, all those characters really because it does subvert our expectations and it it it's not what we expect to happen but it's still funny it's like a black humor but is that why we like those characters so much because even though whether or not you like the series, I think every most everyone can can say the characters are at least interesting, whether you like the story or not. They're all memorable. Um, but is that why yeah. we gravitate towards characters like that? No, it's because they're wise. They they are. They know the world they're in. They understand the world they're in. I think. Um, yeah, wiser yeah, than it's kind of like that. Fantasy. Yeah, it's kind of like that mental quality that um, you get right off the bat. They know something you don't that makes mm-hmm, them interesting. Exactly. And uh, whereas, you know, a character like Frodo, you don't think he knows anything yet. He's learning as he goes. And so you're learning as he's learning. And, of course, through the course of the whole story, he goes through an incredible arc, and he overcomes some great adversity, and he comes to great realizations, and so does the reader with him. But that doesn't make him interesting on the first page. That he's that vehicle that the reader is is um, is being used to bring the reader along. Whereas, uh, like in the case of um, like you were saying with Logan Nine Fingers, he's he he knows he's interesting because he knows something you don't, and you want to find that out. Because I was just thinking, like on a movie parallel. So, like, Luke Skywalker is Frodo. He's that mm. plain vanilla kid that mm-hmm. we learn the world and go through. But come on, Han Solo. Han the Solo. first time you see Han Solo yeah. on screen, come on. We all wanted to be Han Solo, isn't it? So, mm. like, what is it? Is it just a look? Is it just an attitude? What? No, it, it's, it's that you know, Everyone likes that sort of... Yeah. Hmm. He's a cocky, funny guy. Everyone likes a cocky, funny guy. <laughs> as opposed to just, as opposed to just arrogant. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I was going to go off something that uh, Steve said about uh, memorable uh, characters, and it's something that I've been thinking about because uh, last uh, in our previous episode we discussed a lot about uh, likability versus relatability, and. Uh, I mean, a character, as long as their motivations are articulated, they don't have to be relatable. But uh, I was trying to think of um, examples outside 
speculative fiction so like from the classics so for example let's think let's say pip from great expectations he's likable and he's relatable most i mean of course this is all going to vary a lot depending on the reader but i'm saying broad broad agreement is let's think about uh, mr rochester from jnr he's not exactly likable in some of the things that he does but he is relatable and that we understand why he does the things that he does and then we have like this spectrum of characters one of the biggest examples for me would be heathcliff from wuthering heights he is neither likable nor relatable but he is utterly memorable like anybody who has read wuthering heights or who knows wuthering heights knows who heathcliff is and or another one which i read recently the phantom of the opera uh the the titular character it's the same he's not relatable or really likable but um he's extremely memorable and i think that memorability of a character but now coming back to what sort of bringing it back to what jose was saying if we are talking fiction i think it is totally about the deafness of the author there is something that tokian is doing there is something that emily bronte is doing there's something that charles dickens is doing that makes the reader uh engage with the personalities even if they are repulsive or they are very very endearing it's all about the power of words and okay. whether they put whether they go for a psychological portrait or they leave an uh, air of enigma around it that is so, uh, sort of an author, uh, you know the author's bag of tricks but i think it's very much very much in fiction if we are talking about purely fiction and not other media it's about what they do with words uh what the specific author uh, does with words a token is actually a i mean i know he doesn't get uh, he sometimes gets this uh, reputation that he doesn't uh, uh do characters that well uh, I, and i keep wondering did i read a different book because according to me lord of the rings has incredible characters and when i say incredible i don't mean in terms of psychological de- deep psychological portraits but i mean they are extremely memorable i you, you i i come away from the scouring of the shire and the the, the last uh, scene is uh, etched in my memory so uh, that's i think memorability is probably a easier benchmark to think about when we think about good character writing in fiction that when we read the book months past and because proper nouns are tough uh maybe even the name is forgotten but we know that the person that that entity was there yeah, you're right a lot depends upon the author's author's words um and it you know because the different uh archetypes and methods to get there can all be the same no matter who's writing but um you know of course you're you're right the writer the writer's ability to use those things to use their these these the elements of form and stuff like that the writer's ability to do that is what's going to engage you and get you interested mm-hmm. i was going to like sort of put a small question like sort of a follow up question to which like everyone i would love to hear everyone's thoughts so if you are thinking a bit about sort of character depth or character exploration so theoretically then uh, assuming the same page page time or the page the length of a novel 
a single pov should have a uh, maximum you know we should have maximum insight into the character uh, like let's say something like picture of dorian gray and then as it becomes multi pov as the cast increases there is a possibility that it gets more and more diffuse but we know from reading fantasy especially as a genre is that's not the case there are people who like there are single pov books where we are completely unable to connect with the character and there are multi pov books where every single character have you know their identity and memorability so i was wondering how 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 does that balance struck i mean on one side we have single pov which should be maximum depth and on the other side we have multiple pov which should be very diffuse but it's not really like that how does an author actually strike that balance that's a great question I have no idea. I think, I think I the only person no here idea. who tried to answer that is Susanna, who is the only one that writes. Yeah, the, uh, no, it's not. Oh, we, we need to talk at the end of this, Jose. Um, <laughs> he's, 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 a, he's a pretty good writer. Oh, yeah. I have to pick his brain. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I have, uh, I think it's 12 POVs in, uh, in We're Gods Alone. Did that help the book? Um, I don't think so, <laughs> to be fair. Um, did it make better characters? No, it was it was all about the journey of one character. But I, I, I know what you mean, and honestly, I don't know. Um, even as an author, sometimes you, you just kind of... Um, you I hate the word vibe, but it's the only one that comes to mind. You can vibe with a character better than others. And it, it doesn't even mean that you like it better than others. I, I am writing from the point of view of the Minotaur at this point, and I'm loving it. Mm. Uh, I, I'm really in sync with the character. Am I a Minotaur? No. But, you know, sometimes, and, and that comes across on the, on the page, at least for me, I think so. Um, sometimes you love a character and you, you pull all, all your st- strengths, all your, and you just do your best, you write your best, and you research and you add you know the best the best character art etc and it still comes out flat and then there's a, a side character that it's there just to decorate the plot and ended up becoming the main character of their own novella so i i, I mm. don't know you need to invite you know <laughs> writers with a bit more experience than me because you know, it just I, happens. I very much relate to your uh, comment about, uh, you know, the side character becoming uh, the main the main highlight because mm-hmm. that is what Ori in Kingkiller is for me. Mm-hmm. I'm not technically a huge, huge fan of both. I like him. I'm interested in his story. But he, he but Ori is, is she, again, she is luminescent. Anything about her I would read. And that's not something that, I think the author planned because it was not even initially in the first draft, which Patrick Rothfuss mm. has said. And uh, somehow it somehow it just works. I, I don't know. But uh, I want to ask uh, Steve, uh, Jose and uh, Jared to chime in. So I thought I'll uh, ask everybody uh, with my knowledge of what their fan- a fantasy series that they like. So uh, Jared, one series that you like a lot is Malazan. And that is, I mean, I would say 
ultimate diffuse in terms of <laughs> number of povs uh, yeah. it, it, it's a it's a challenge uh, do you still find yourself connecting to characters nevertheless or finding moments of meaning with them as yeah, you went yeah. through the books absolutely yeah uh, i mean erickson's kind of a unique case he has this ability to um make you care about the smallest character in his multi uh you know thousand character uh cast um in uh he he uh he's able to do it in in a short time uh because a lot of his um his sections you know he has very long chapters but they're all it's always broken up into sections when he changes POVs and stuff like that and he um he has every single one of those sections has this kind of short story feel to him and so he does a kind of full arc within that small section and it really brings out the uh the character he's talking about in that in that that short section and um and he does that uh he, like i've i have never encountered that kind of style of writing um until i read malazan um i mean martin does it somewhat in the uh song of ice and fire series when he 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 just makes one chapter about a character and so you learn that mm. character you know you learn that it's from their pov and you learn about them um erickson kind of goes to an extreme uh with that he has much larger chapters and he breaks he he has multi povs from a bunch of characters within that chapter especially um especially during uh large battle scenes where you're getting a lot of povs from different soldiers and stuff like that and um there was um actually a uh i did a segment on that on a, on the the little short story pieces in the death of a character in one of the battles in malazan um and you could just read that section and then you could read that section by itself and just get something out of it and learn about that character and, and uh and feel for that character in that short arc um so that's that's you know that that's not just speaking about my favorite series um you know everybody has their own way of 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 uh of uh explaining their characters and that's the his is unique in that regard uh i was going to ask steve next um so we have malazan which is sort of the extreme i would say in terms of number of povs although i'm going to ask jose about another series which comes close but uh <laughs> one of your favorite series is the prince of nothing which uh had i mean you you have uh you have mentioned multiple times that it had a had an impact on you and that is sort of intermediate in terms of number of povs mm-hmm. um so how 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 was your journey connecting with the characters did you immediately sink into the world did you Im- immediately connect to some characters more than others how was it as a journey as you went through the series well i think it it helped that there most of the characters are broken up by chapter so you get bits and pieces of them for extended periods of time that's why i think malazan is so hard for some people like me to get into even though i like the story it, it's it, there it, we switch we 
swap heads really fast. So I think that's why it's it's it takes some adjustment to get into to kind of you know because you get settled in with one person and then you go to another you go to another person in a different part of the world and so it, I think it does help a dummy like me to stick with a character for a while to kind of just like dig mm-hmm. in and and get comfortable and kind of get to know them a little bit over the course of of some time. So I think that does help that having you know extended periods of time with one character or another and the limited POVs too. I think Malazan, I think Gardens of the Moon has like 300 characters or something. Is that right? There's quite a few. Yeah. Something so, like that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's insane. <laughs> so I think that does help me too. Um, limited POVs. Hmm. Um, well, you should love so Chron- I- Chronicles of Thomas Covenant then. It's all one. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all one POV. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, I'm going to... I'm going to ask Jose about <laughs> one trilogy, which I know he has mentioned that he, it's a favorite of his, which is Lifeship Traders, which is multi-POV. And then I'm going to ask about the dreaded series, maybe just the initial books, The Wonderful Wheel of Time. You know it's coming. Yeah. Which has <laughs> certain POVs, a certain number of POVs, and gradually there's a proliferation. So I, I wanted to ask, especially... I mean, both the journeys, assuming you read them in order. So Farseer, it was single POV, and then you went to this multi-POV cast with Robin Hobb. And then in the other one also, in Eye of the World, it's mainly Rand 80% of the time, and then gradually you get into more POVs. Uh, do you have some thoughts on how in one you were able to connect with the characters more, while in the other it was less of a connect? I'm going to preface what I'm going to say by apologizing profusely to any Wheel of Time fan, Robert Jordan fan, that may be listening in now. But I think, Paramita, you are pitting like a chess grandmaster of characterization in Robin Hobb with the piece of shit that is the Wheel of Time. It's a piece of shit. I I think the craft, the writing craft of Robin Hobb and Robert Jordan, they, they don't even, it's not the same job, okay? It's just, it's not. <laughs> um, so basically, in answer to your question now, Robin Hobb, like I said, she's a master crafter of character. I, I haven't read any books where the character work, the development, the inner thought, the journey, the relationships, and it, no one comes close to Robin Hobb. The Wheel of Time is just boring, it's dull, it's the 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 characters are all Mary Sue's and Gary Stu's, that there's nothing there's no effort whatsoever in there to motivate the character. And then we just got the excuse that they are Taveran, they are the chosen ones. So but why are they super powered? They are Taveran. Why are they going on an adventure journey to save the world? Because they are Taveran nothing is explained. Everything just got this gimmicky reason why. So no. But also, sorry, just coming back to what you were saying before about memorability and characterization. I think, like, good writer, good writers, just like a, a writing sort of 101 course that you would do. It's just little tricks that you can do to make your character more memorable. So, like, Glotka, why is he memorable? Because he could have been any old sort of sage, but the fact that he's a cripple makes it more interesting. Um, oh, 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 sorry, more memorable because you know he's. You've added that. 
in in Game of Thrones, again, Tyrion is a really interesting character, but you make him a, I don't know what's the politically correct word these days, a dwarf or uh, whatever it is, vertically challenged person. He he already is a lot more memorable. Um, you, you, you know, you gave them a unique voice, and Terry Pratchett does that a lot because he's written... <laughs> Are you okay, Steve? I'm okay. You, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're right, yeah? yeah? Uh, and um, Terry Pratchett, you know, he wrote tens of characters, but he gave each, like, a, a uniqueness, whether it's a physical trait or a, or a way in, they, in which they speak that makes them instantly recognizable. And I think those are little tricks that authors do to make the characters either more interesting or more memorable. But you cannot compare Parameter, the character work in Robin Hood and Robert Jordan. They are different. It's different species. They're, they're different. Fair enough. I was going to say, can can we level the playing field a bit by comparing maybe Life Ship to say the initial books of A Song of Ice and Fire or First Love? Ooh. Okay. So that now no, we're talking. Now we're talking. <laughs> um. I think, ah, oh, I think, I think um, Martin does a bit more of that trickery thing, like I said, like Tyrion is the way he is, um, and he plays more to archetype, whereas Robin Hobb does a lot more in-depth work. She spends a lot of time setting the story and, and the background, whereas with Martin, it's a little bit quicker, you know, straight away, you know, the descriptions or the physicality or, or the actions. You know, in book one of A Song of Ice and Fire, you have your idea of the goodies and the buddies. With Robin Hood, everything is a lot more slow-paced, I think. And, you know, that will work for some people and it will not work for other people. And then your taste will take you in one direction or another. <clears throat> it's funny, I, I never thought about the the parallels between Glockta and Tyrion. Um, they are both cynics. Uh, they are both disabled, both tortured, underestimated characters, uh, wealthy, and their wealth doesn't do them much good in, 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 in the grand scheme of things. Um, yeah, clever. There, there are tricks. Yeah, make them intelligent. Um, make them, you know, wise. Uh, having them know something other characters don't know. Make them, you know, conflicted, tortured, you know, some horrible background. Make them disfigured. Um, that is very easy trick too. Um, you know, if 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 you want to make a character attractive, just just give them scars. It's a kind of a thing. Very common in romance, specifically. Uh, so yeah. The, there are tricks we can use. They don't always work, but they are there. I think, I think um, we talked about characters and having that cool factor right off the right off the bat. I think in movies like Jose, you mentioned Han Solo. I think we get a visual of Han before you know we can see him and his clothes and his kind of his 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 attitude and he's a you know he has that aura about him. How does that? How do you do that through through text though? Like how? I have no. I'm not. I don't have the answer, but I'm curious. Like, how does that happen? What? How do you so quickly 
convey to the reader that this person is intelligent, this person is charismatic, this person is knowledgeable. Do you give them a, an archetype right away? Or? No, you can make them say Usually something. With, I mean, sorry, go ahead. No, no, for me to go, go ahead, uh, like the, the reader's perspective. I was just going to say, I think we were about to say the same thing, more or less, maybe just different phrasing. I was going to say maybe interactions with people who are in the moment less knowledgeable. Usually interactions are one of the uh, strongest way to uh, you know, show, show how a character is. And the other one which works, which is very, very common in literary fiction, also common in some fantasy and science fiction, but very common literary fiction is interior monologue. But it's tough to do. And I think it's really tough to do well. But when done well, it, it can immediately, because uh, I think one of the reasons, uh, one of the reasons we read is we are looking for human connection, maybe. That's one of the reasons we read. And so when we get true interiority of someone's psyche in text, where the physical attributes are for us to imagine to some extent, but their mind is uh, at one with, I mean, we, we find something to connect with them. I think it can be a very, very moving reading experience. That, that's mm -hmm. Agree. Yeah. It, it is also, um, there's like different methods that the, an author can use to um, deliver their character development to, to people. And so I depend, it, it matters upon a reader on what they're expecting and what they're, uh, you know, uh, geared towards, towards uh, reading, you know, like, uh, like Paramita just said, the, um, you had that direct method that you just mentioned where the author's telling you about a character and then you get, then you can have um, you can have the character development just through dialogue, and you can try to get it that way. And then you can have it through, um, you can through see the character through other characters' eyes, you know, and that can make that character cool. And then hmm. you can also have just the character action and what the character's act is doing that can uh, draw you to that character. So it might depend upon how you as a reader would want that information brought to you in what manner you like mm. you prefer yes very true i was um, I, I thought of one thing which uh, sort of follows on from what steve asked and i think jose and susanna also mentioned before um so we, we've been talking a lot about uh series or stories in general where there is leeway for the author to develop characters as they please. What about more ideas heavy or theme heavy? I was, I'm, I'm going, I was going to go into science fiction, but let's, for example, start with A Wizard of Earthsea. I think the core of what Le Guin is doing is related to some kind of theming around, you know, the grappling with oneself. How does one balance character work with more ideas-driven or theme-driven fantasy or science fiction? 
Sorry. With with a lot of editing. I. <laughs> I don't need that. You need to strike a balance. It depends on what the author's intent is. If you take something like Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged or The Fountainhead, it's a very ideas. They're two very ideas-heavy based novels, and the characters are just conduits for her philosophy. So really, she didn't need to strike a balance at all. The characters were just a vehicle for the ideas that she wanted to put forward. Um, so I think that's only a concern, if it's a concern for the author, depending on what the author is trying to do. Um, mm -hmm. And I think maybe maybe Ayn Rand is at one extreme. I think, um, I haven't read it, but from what I hear, uh, is it Terry Brooks with the sort of truth? He he also like pours a lot of his ideas or his philosophy into the series. Terry Goodkind. I haven't read it. Terry Good Terry Goodkind. Sorry. Yeah, Terry Goodkind. Terry Brooks is Shannara, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, Gerald. Have you have you read um, Sort of Truth? I have not. No. Ah, okay. So I think it's only an issue if if the author is trying to strike that balance. If not. You don't care about it. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. Um, I think it's a risk very much, isn't it? If uh, the characters, as you said, Jose, are solely ideological mouthpieces, irrespective of whether we align with the ideology or not, uh, a sense of annoyance can develop. And I personally, for me, this increases with the length of the book. <laughs> but uh, a sense of impatience can develop where I feel like I'm being told what to think. And while I appreciate having the author's point of view through their fiction, I also like a little bit of space to think for myself as a reader. So when it gets a bit too heavy handed and when the characters become entirely, as you said, some kind of uh, delivery mechanism for a particular ideology, then for me, it's usually a miss. I don't know how it is for others. I would love to hear your thoughts. I guess it depends on the ideology uh, to, to some degree or how you like the characters or not. Um, it, the, it, but it, it is, as a writer, it is a very slippery slope as well because sometimes you want to get a team across, not even a, an ideology, just a team. And you, yeah, it's it's very easy to go from um, ideological to preachy. So the, the editing, just lots of editing, just just balance balance things out. I don't have an issue with an author preaching to me. It's up to me to decide whether I like well, the preaching or not. It, it's just, it doesn't bother me. I think people are free to write whatever they want and I'm free to like it or dislike it. It's not really yeah. an issue. For, for example, to use an example of Atlas Rock, which I, unlike most people, I do enjoy the book. There's two main speeches, ideological speeches in the book. The money speech and John Gold speech, right? The money speech, I think it's brilliant. 
it's one of the best things I've ever read. It completely mm. changed my perspective on things. I recommend it to everyone. If you don't want to read the whole thing, which I still think it's a pretty good novel, The Money Speech. It's great. John Gold's speech, which I guess was the point of the whole book. Uh, it's a snooze fest. It's, it's just too much. It's just by the end of it, it, it just it just wears you down. And there's because everything he says was already reiterated and explained and lived through the book. There's no need. It's just it's too preachy, too forced, too much. So that it's in my opinion. It doesn't ruin the novel for me. I, I just skip it. <laughs> but um, yeah, so but that is a good example of one was just right. There's still a bit of preaching, but in a way it was just right. The other one just, you know, I I edit the hell out of it. It didn't need to be that long. <laughs> what is your opinion, Jose? I really, I actually enjoyed both novels. They look a bit bricky. Like, um, you, you know, my, my uncle got me... Not the, the novels, the, 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 the speeches in Atlas Shrug. It, it got a little bit boring. The last one was a 150-page speech long yeah. or something, something, yeah, something just... utterly ridiculous. <laughs> There's, there, there was no need, no need for it. No, and I think you're right. Like, the philosophy that she was trying to convey was already clear by that stage. So we didn't yeah. need that. And we somehow massively veered off from the whole topic of characters, I think, now that I'm <laughs> thinking about it's it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's still interesting. Yeah. So Go back. Back, back, to, to, back to Steve's point. Well, about, it, it, that, sorry, that, speech, that speech, did it, did it enhance or detract from the characters mm-hmm. in that case? I mean, did, you know. No, and... And, and since we are talking about characters, so the whole thing, for those who haven't read the book, I'm not going to spoil too much, but there's this mystery at the beginning, which was the thing that drew me in about who is John Galt. It's kind of a, even an expression, who's John Galt, to say, you know, why mm. things happen or why is this? And you spend most of the book thinking, oh, my God, who is John Galt? You know, who is this character, this character greater than life? And he end up being a great disappointment to me at least, as, as a man, as a character. And then after the speech, it just went downhill. So it, it's a good example that it doesn't matter how well you build up the character or you write or how much ideology you would get to get across, uh, the character can still fall through, uh, fall uh, yeah, through the cracks and just everything else in the book, every other character pretty much is more interesting than him, in my opinion. Mm. I, th- I think... I think in both Allah Shrugged and The Fountainhead, char- the characters are not even secondary. It, it really isn't. I mean, Ayn Rand was mostly a thinker slash philosopher. And what she was doing, what she was doing with those books is put down her selfish objectivism philosophy out there. So, really. And, you know, it's very easy to identify with the hero of the story because he's the one you know, doing things his way against society's impositions and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's not really, you know, character work is, is totally secondary there. I think of the two, I cannot quite remember. Whichever one is the shorter one, I found is better than the... So I, th- I think the Fountainhead 
is, is the shorter yeah, one. Fountainhead yeah, is shorter. Yeah, uh, so yeah. I enjoyed that one a lot more than yes. Atlas Shrugged. Yes. Hmm. Uh, I wanted to share this uh, example. It's probably something uh, all or most of you are familiar with. Uh, and it's something I didn't even realize it until uh, the Purple Bookworm, who is a member of the forum, she pointed it out to me. So in Feast for Crows, uh, we have Brienne of Tarth's point of view. And her entire arc for a large part of that book is going from place to place, looking for this particular individual, whom the reader is aware is not at any of the places that Brienne is looking for. And it is repeated multiple times. And uh, one of the very common things that I have read and which I felt the first time on my first read is why are these chapters there? Why, if the reader knows that this individual is not at the place, at any of the places that Brienne is looking for, why did George R. R. Martin put in these chapters? And I was like, uh, I mean, uh, the, the common complaints uh, from readers are that it's filler, that it's unedited. Let us assume that uh, even if that is true, why put it at all is the question. Because uh, filler or unedited would be if it's you know if it's five chap five times or three times like that is where that comes in. But if this is known to the reader from the very beginning, which it is, why is it at all? And I remember listening to this video by the Purple Bookworm, and she said this phrase anti-war theming, and then when I reread this book, it just hit me that this is probably Martin's, in a way, because it's called A Song of Ice and Fire, not A Game of Thrones. This is probably Martin's, one of his few moments where he's actively telling the reader through Brienne as she goes through these war-ravaged places that look all you, you know, lords and all you people fighting for the throne while your country, your lands are bleeding. You know, the, the, the absolute ravages of war each time in each location and he reinforces that. So that was a very moving and very impactful moment for me where I realized that he's, Martin is delivering something very, very profound as a series overall theme through character interaction. And it's not to develop Brienne's character so much, other than her honor. I mean, she's very honorable, which has already been established. But it's more to show us the aftermath, the wreckage of, you know, this crescendo that we thought has happened in Storm of Swords, that the land is in ruin. So that was something I wanted to uh, share with you all. I wondered if there are any moments in any book which like you had that aha moment when you reread it later or when you thought about it later uh, where you, uh, the character something about a character or something about the way they interacted with others really hit on a particular message or theme for you uh, I, I i don't reread a lot <laughs> Not as often as you, so I'm, I'm, I immediately I go to kind of movies first. Um, and I see what you mean. I, I I can only think of examples of a song of ice and fire. So. <laughs> That's great. 
<laughs> it, it is such a great example. I mean, isn't it? A, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's it's kind of a testament that uh, in two episodes that we have been talking about characters, the series has come up over and over again. And truly, Ma- Martin must have accomplished something magnificent yeah. that it's there in our hearts. Mm-hmm. Susanna, what about another series that you reread recently? Is The Expanse? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they kind of remain the same. I mean, I, um, I I appreciated Hold a little bit more. I still loved Miller. I still loved Avasarala. Uh, 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 I still prefer the series version of Avasarala. Um, there were a few realizations, but not not so many as in Game of Thrones, to be fair. Game of Thrones... Uh, or the Song of Ice and Fire, should I say, has has layers and layers. There are passages that I, you know, I, I have marked that I'm still trying to decipher. Um, that that last book better come out. But uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm going through that uh, with because uh, I'm. I, 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 yeah, I was going to ask Jared because you're rereading Malasan. Is yeah. that happening for you? Yeah. a lot of times. Almost, almost every other page, I'm like realizing stuff I didn't catch the first time, and um, and you're gonna. I think you're gonna get that with any uh, really good writer like Martin and uh, and mm-hmm. Worth. is gonna another one too. Uh, you're gonna get that because um, there's a lot in there. There's a lot every every when every word has a purpose. Um, you're you're gonna miss stuff the first time. It's 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 you know it's uh it would be almost impossible to catch everything when when you have that that level of writing. And uh, that was um, I like what you uh what you just laid out about Brienne's character and why those chapters were there. They were definitely there for a reason. It was the, you know it wasn't just filler that that uh, Martin was putting in. Um, and uh, when you come to that realization on a second read it, it, it that's a wonderful feeling i think um and i and i'm getting that a lot with with the reread of malazan because um because it is so huge um you, you of course you're gonna forget a ton of stuff um and uh so that's i totally relate with that feeling um i, I wanted to ask is there something etched in your mind recently which you know really has stayed with you from uh, your yeah. Reread? I just read something today, and it's hard to explain without um, giving away like story points or whatever. But there was there was a because um, I'm reading the, the eighth book right now, and mm-hmm. there's a character in there who he goes through a large transformation through the course of the series, and he returns to his point of origin basically, and he's a completely different person, but everyone there is treating him the same from when he left. And so there's this, um, you know, this dichotomy, this, this, uh, it's, it's not, um, there's a, there's a, what do you call it? Uh, there's a contrast between their perception of who he is and who he has become. And, uh, that, that contrast is actually a theme that goes throughout the whole book that now I'm reading a second time. I see that with a lot of other characters that I didn't see before. And so it's, it's, it's really like a, it's a, 
the theme running throughout the whole book. And this is, you know, it's a 1200 page book. So there's a lot, there's a lot to run through. And, um, so he also ends up, um, he's a likable character and he ends up killing off a character that, you know, nobody liked, everybody hated, but the circumstances of it were kind of tragic. The first time you read it, you're kind of cheering like, yeah, you know, but then now you're reading it a second time. I'm kind of like, you know, that's what are we cheering for? Yeah. Why are we cheering? Cause it's not a, it's not a nice act. He, he just killed a man in cold blood. It's, it's what we shouldn't be cheering for that. This should, you know, and that is brought out too as part of the themes and stuff like that. And, and he's the, he's like the most, he feels the tragedy more than anybody else around it. So it's, it's very, uh, those are the kind of things that just really, that really hit you on a second, a second read. Hmm. Uh, uh, I, I, I wanted to ask Steve the same thing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, it's just, I, I finally thought about uh, a book, <laughs> the, the book that I reread more times than any other, which is Weathering Heights. And you mentioned it earlier. Um, and mm. it, it's it, it's been an experience every time I read it because there's so many layers to it, and um, so to keep it Same. brief, Same. so many layers. And every so the first time I read it, I was about 13, 14, and I was oh, such a tragic romance, I'm so sad for them, kind of feeling. Um, as I grew older, upon rereads, a few things. Uh, that I noticed. One, Nelly, which is kind of a neutral character, so you think, even though she's uh, the narrator. I, I, I hate her more and more each time, and I question her nar nar narration more and more each time. Uh, Kathy, uh, what a bitch. And I, I still relate to her, but I think she, you know, she, she was... Uh, I understood her better when I was younger, and I think she was a product of just being very young. Mm. We kind of forget that they were so young. Um, Heathcliff, you said that he was unlikable and unrelatable and, and all those things. I, it, it's one of my favorite characters of all time, um, even unlikable. But I do think he's very relatable. Um, is uh, to me, at least again, as I get older, he almost went from, you know, the my version of Prince Charming uh, to just, you know, almost a soulmate, not in a romantic way, but I, I do get him uh, where, where all that hatred mm -hmm. comes from uh, and how such intense, you know, hatred, passion, when unchecked, you know, how far can it go? Um, so it went from romance to a revenge tale, and, I, and every time I read it, uh, it it almost feels like a different book. That that is truly, you know, uh, I, art, I true art. I totally agree. Yeah, I totally agree, and I'm not so surprised when you said this about Heathcliff because my mother says the same thing. So <laughs> when she reread re this story with me. She has also reread it many, many times. I think it's her favorite Bronte. And she says much of the same thing that, uh, yes, it is like for me, the, the second uh, I read as same as you, Suzanne, I read it once when I was a teenager. And that time I was like, this is kind of a tragic passion story. 
and then uh, I read reread it recently earlier in the year, and I was like, oh my god, these are this is a sociopath. I'm it's, scared. It's now. all about revenge. Like, yeah, it's it's so dark. It's, yeah. it's it's just revenge. Yeah. But but my mother read it with me at the same time, and she said that look how doomed they are. So yes, it's but I, I mean yes, they are. But ultimately, they are to be pitied. Yes, they are maladjusted, and yes, they are. I mean, very very deranged almost in a way. And again, as you said, the very important point about who is narrating. is mm. very much relevant which is something that emily bronte i mean genius anyway but uh, and w- w- with that knowledge with that perspective when i reread it this time i felt that sense of tragedy like it is it is all pervasive tragedy now for me and i i mean that is amazing within the same year the book can generate so much feeling it's, uh, it's it, i i mean now it's my favorite bronte as well <laughs> the one which can make me vacillate in feeling so much is definitely yeah. the one to watch out for. Yeah, uh, all, I, all range of emotions. Ask, all range, truly. I was going to ask Steve the same question that I asked Jared because I know that now you are on a journey of rereading Prince of Nothing and you have been sharing your thoughts. And a lot of the thoughts have been about foreshadowing with respect to the world and what happens. But I wanted to ask you specifically, specifically about character arcs. Are there things that you're noticing that Backer put in in the beginning, which sort of indicate where characters go later on? Yeah, uh, definitely. I think there was a there's a couple of main characters. Well, one Espinet is one of the main characters, and I won't mm-hmm. don't spoil any her journey for anyone. But I think there's a lot about her character that's established early that I didn't catch the first time. A lot of her motivations and Um, her, her view of the world and where she, where she sees herself and where she um, wants to be, I guess, without saying too much. So yeah, I think th- those things I missed on the first read. That now that I know where she, where she goes, uh, the things I just mm. went right over my head. But now you know, I don't, I don't think anyone would really see it until you had context. So I don't feel too bad. <laughs> um I'm, I'm trying to think of uh other series where uh, like when I reread it uh it completely re- recontextualized characters for me. I think the song of ice and fire is probably a very 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 strong one. Mm. Can't think of any which uh really have done it to that extent and and curiously i mean uh, i i i like the characters in dune and dune messiah a lot but i cannot think of too many science fiction series where i can say the same as i am to uh, able to say about epic fantasy and uh, i'm not sure why uh, is epic science fiction too focused on ideas sometimes at the expense of character development is is or is that too broad a generalization uh, i think um maybe we maybe we're thinking too much <laughs> in the realms of sci-fi and fantasy and mm-hmm. you know susanna and i did the romance reading challenge by jenny um <laughs> 
last month. <laughs> right. And, um, you, you know, it, it was it was actually nice to step away from dragons and wizards into the deep south and follow, you know, some serial murder killings with, with a splash of smart in there. And I, th- I think maybe... Sci-fi and fantasy, there's a great focus on the great hero's journey and the great sort of near world-ending events. And maybe in other genres, you get... There's maybe a deeper emphasis on character. You know, we were talking before about Hercule Poirot or Miss Marple or, you know, Sam Spade from the Falcon Maltese. And I don't, I don't know, you get... Maybe we're just too narrow-minded here. Yeah. We're just thinking about characters in the context of um, science fiction and fantasy. Hmm. Uh, uh, for me personally, Christy, definitely every single novel, her characters, I mean, which is why I reread them over and over again. And sometimes uh, one of my friends used to ask me, uh, she used to guess them right all the time. And I think I've only guessed two correctly ever. So. But she used to ask me, how, how are you rereading these? And I reread them exactly for the tremendous insight into psychology that uh, Agatha Christie has. Even the main character, the side character, the antagonist, every single person will be imbued with personality. And it will be related to the social structure. It will be related to the, uh, the, the backdrop. So the historical backdrop. So, for example, the post-war England, where things are gradually declining, staff is declining. Uh, all, all, all those things are interwoven in. It's, it's, uh, it's quite amazing. But uh, I think Tana French is another person who has written the Dublin Murder Squad novel. She, she does really very nice character-focused mystery. But uh, I have also have read uh, Cookie. Uh, well, I won't say cookie, uh, cookie cutter. That sounds uh, condescending. But I have read uh, mystery novels where it's very much about who did it and mm-hmm. not so much focused on the character. So again, I think as Jared said, it totally depends on the writer and the reader combination. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, your Sherlock Holmes stuff isn't character-driven so much. It's more no. plot-driven, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. What's the mystery? What's the plot? How did it happen? And uh, and it's just basically used, most of the time it's Sherlock telling you here's how it happened. You know, <laughs> and, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. here's what awesome. I devised. You know, and uh, so it you know all, all stories don't have to be character driven. But you're right, yeah. Jose. You're right about our focus on fantasy. Um, a lot of fantasy is character driven stuff, and. Um, it, and I wonder, uh, and a lot of sci-fi is, um, you know, idea-driven stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, and of course, there's a lot of crossover here and there, you know. There's, there's, mm-hmm. there's tons of different, uh, that's, that's, just a, that's just a broad generalization, really. But um, but uh, it, makes you, uh, it makes you wonder what attracts the fantasy reader to have... You know, are, are character-driven readers attracted more to fantasy than other stuff, or vice versa? You know. Hmm. Oh, uh, definitely. Uh, but I, in, in my opinion, at least speaking for, for myself, uh, that's why I read fantasy and science fiction. But there's also another aspect. I'm here trying 
to figure out how to articulate it. Like uh, Parumita talked about uh, the picture of Dorian Gray or Dorian Gray as being a, a memorable character. And I was here thinking, uh, he himself as a character is not particularly interesting. Like his circumstances are interesting. Hmm. And, and there's a lot of that in fantasy and science fiction. Sometimes it's not so much the character, but the world that they are in, the circumstances they are in, the, the whatever yeah. magical or, or technological, and that makes their journey interesting. They can be just regular average dude, not even very likable, intelligent, or um, not even very competent. But because they are in that world that is so uh, vibrant uh, for the reader, they, they become interesting. Um, but I was thinking of more examples and just got stuck on Dorian Gray. So help me out. <laughs> I don't know, I was well, thinking... and, and anyone from House Targaryen, pretty much. Without the dragons, they would just be sociopaths. Seriously. Yeah. Just... <laughs> I thought another series, trilogy, series, whatever you want to call it, that does great character work outside of fantasy would be the the girl with the dragon tattoo. Mm. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, fantastic! Fantastic. I think, I think we've we've probably all read that, and um, you know you've. Oh, you haven't? Oh, okay, I have not, Jared. Um, Seen the movie? I think you I, got. I've read it. Still right, counts. But, but the, oh, then it's fine. Okay. The char- yeah, yeah. The character of Lisbeth Salander is very memorable. Again, and we're talking about those writer tricks where you know, you make her super skinny and you make her have you know the tattoos and. Or things that in your mind help you to visualize a very memorable character. But then, in there, you know, he's sort of, I suppose he sort of maybe criticizes him, the upper echelons of Swedish society. You know, everyone is some sort of sexual deviant, and, <laughs> you know, everyone is living in an open marriage, and everyone is doing this, that, the other. But I think um, it's, you know, it's a trilogy. I, I think so. Someone has written another two or three books following the same, you know, titular girl with a dragon tattoo. But but that first trilogy, particularly the first book, I think it's it does great character work there. It is. Oh, Elizabeth Salander is like one of my most memorable characters. I admire her so much, so much. <laughs> Can I bring a little bit of mythology to the mix? Please. So always, <laughs> uh, I I was pretty much lynched in a in, in a Discord uh, Discord server for saying this, but uh, so is the thing. Loki, amazing character, uh, and I'm not even going into Marvel Loki. I'm just talking, you know, mythological Loki. You know, is the wild card, the chaos god, the trickster god in Norse mythology. He stands out because you know he's unlike any other character, any other god in the pantheon. Odin, kind of, you know, it gives him trouble because he's wise, you know, but still pretty much everyone else is very two-dimensional. Puts him with uh, in the Olympian pantheon, where there's several trickster gods there, not just the one. You know, we have Hermes, Prometheus, 
Um, even even Zeus. I mean, there's there's nothing that Loki does that Zeus can't do. You know, it's um, it's a completely different dynamic. He would never be able to fool the Olympian gods as easily as he does the Norse. Then sometimes it's it's like that with characters and stories. You know, sometimes you don't need to have you know a great character. You know super clever, super this and that and the other. You just need to have very bland side characters, sec- sec- secondary characters for the character to stand oh. out. And mm. uh, it's how to balance that. That's why ensembles are so hard to do because everyone needs to be full, flat, three- three-dimensional, complex character. So steering away from mythology, one of my favorite TV shows is Black Sails. Mm. There's no secondary characters in that show. Yeah, Everyone is a main character. Everyone is going at gets. Everyone has a complete story arc, complete personality background, and, that's, and it's amazing. So again, setting and who the characters inter- interact with is very important to create a great character. That's it. I said Black it in all the comments. People are just going to lynch me. Say, you what you're saying that Norse mythology characters are flat? Anyway, it's be mm. fine. <laughs> I, I would love to talk about the way that series ends. I think that's so interesting. I won't say too much, but... Please, let's talk about... I am desperate to find someone yeah. to talk about episode by episode, please. Let's, really? <laughs> it was yes. don't, don't, a while don't, ago. Don't play with me. <laughs> we'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much in it. I've been wanting to rewatch Every it. episode, is, it's like a movie. There's, there's so much going on so fast. Oh, it's I amazing. love Black Sail. It's great, yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> You got lynched for that? It, I mean, is it, it doesn't seem like a hot take. What's that? You got late. You almost got lynched for that. It doesn't seem like a hot take, like the mythology thing. Man, it it, it was a Norse mythology oriented oh. channel, <laughs> so uh, they, they didn't like to take it all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's getting warm in here. Yeah. <laughs> But it is what I think. That's why I, I wrote what I wrote the way, because, you know, I think he deserved uh, proper adversaries. Odin is there as well, of course, but yeah, pretty much. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so much of the mythology is, is, is up for a lot of interpretation, too, you know, and depending on yes. where the story comes from and who's telling it. So uh, you, you can definitely have... Uh, like those characters kind of start out flat until they're brought to life by whatever story is being told about them. You know? <laughs> what about villains? We're here talking about. Well, I guess we talk about several villains, but uh, there's you know this saying that villains always have the best lines, which I, I think it's true. Why do you think mm. that is? I don't know. Anyone? Because because the better the villain, the better the hero, isn't oh, it? Okay. Yeah. You. Uh, there's some somewhere in the back of my mind. There's something about 
you know, you're only as good as the people you beat, isn't it? Mm. And that's why, if I can draw the parallel to boxing, like Muhammad Ali was the greatest ever because he fought the best ever. He ducked no one and he fought everyone. Whereas in the present day, you go all these top three, four heavyweights and they're not fighting each other. They're just fighting everyone else. And it's like, you know, there's no claim to being the best of your era because you haven't fought everyone in your era. So I think um, with, you know, the better the villain, the more heroic the deed, the better, you know, the more gravitas to, to the story. And, um, you know, I, th I think Batman has got fantastic villains. Mm -hmm. I think um, he, he's got the best villains in in literature. Yeah. But to me, at least, he only actually became a hero. Uh, you know, when uh, it was The Dark Knight with Christian Bale. Before that, he was just a, a character, comic book character, you know, two dimensional. It was only when he had, yeah, again, a proper villain that make them you know be a bit of a villain as well you know be a little bit you know less um heroic and had to question his morals i think yeah a good villain is a, is a villain that is able to corrupt the hero to some degree so eventually we bring the best out of him i suppose yeah, I mean that that's a really interesting point because uh, I was I was thinking along this actually that uh, who we are talking about I mean sometimes it's very obvious but who we are uh, referring to as a villain is sometimes anchored to the moral axis of the world and that sometimes might be up for interpretation both within the text itself intended by the author but also i mean for the for the reader personally i mean for example there are some there are some characters where i'm just like perish like i don't care i don't care i don't want to hear your motivation perish 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 <laughs> uh, a, a very a very strange one was uh, i had this i had this very visceral reaction for those who have read first law uh, it is in Blade itself, uh, in a particular chapter with Colonel West. And uh, when that chapter happened, I was just like, please perish. <laughs> I literally do not care about you anymore. I, and, you, uh, you have to give me more than that, Paramita, please. I don't know what you're talking uh, about. He, he, is revealed as a, he is revealed as a bystander in... Uh, the atrocities inflicted on a certain individual who is very close to him. And then he is also a perpetrator of those atrocities. Right. Okay. Himself. Okay. Okay. And yeah. And when I read that, I was just like, perish. <laughs> I do not, do not, do not want to know about you. I, but I mean, uh, so that was a very visceral reaction. And, in the moral compass of this first law world, which I honestly don't know what it is, even now after re after reading the trilogy, I mean Colonel West was one of the manageable ones. One most one would almost say, 
but i i personally uh, despise him probably one of the most and uh, it's it's a very strange thing so that's why when i was thinking about villains uh, i kind of get where logan is coming from i kind of get where glaxa is coming from i don't get where Cut- fest is coming from and so he just goes into that trash category for me i wonder whether other people have these sort of uh, what do i say varied reactions to perceived antagonists uh, yeah some of them are just very despicable um but then again i want to ask a fun question Sorry, go ahead. No, no, still ruminating thinking. No, my question is extremely silly, so please go ahead. <laughs> I wasn't going at I'm t- I was thinking out loud and I lost the train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry. Um okay, I'll ask it. So we talked a lot about a song of ice and fire and uh, Susanna mentioned uh, villains. So just for fun, uh I prepared this like rogues gallery of uh a song of ice and fire and in my rogues gallery here are the following people who are there for sure Geoffrey Baratheon Ramsay Bolton Euron Greyjoy Gregor Clegane mm. and on the doorstep like they can be in or they can be out i still can't decide one is Melisandre Shahrazad and one is Peter Baelish So that's my rogues gallery <laughs> with two people on the doorstep. Does anybody have any additions, omissions, thoughts? Hmm. Uh no, no Lannister. I I disagree with Melisandre. Hmm. And uh with Theon a little bit. Uh, you know, even as villains go is is uh in in the world of ice and fire is 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 very small uh, and I, and i disagree with alexander everyone else yeah sure who else can go there <laughs> <laughs> because you see you, you again the bar is quite <laughs> that uh, everyone yeah, could be a villain there in game of thrones it's tough because they're so they're all so well-rounded characters um that you see their motivations i mean maybe not i don't know if we ever saw uh the mountains motivations but um but definitely like theon greyjoy you see his theon definitely yeah but you see his motivations he's like a freak oh you're on yeah that's so right he's that's his uncle Euron. right yeah oh that's what you said i i i misunderstood yeah euron definitely yes sorry yeah oh my god <laughs> what is happening <laughs> Yeah, and you wonder if um you wonder if how many you know how many characters is would Martin detail to the level he does some of the other ones, you know, um and if he ever got to the point where he detailed those villains further, would you then could there be another character arc that redeems him like Jamie Lannister or or are they just, you know, outright villains or what have you? It's interesting that the Night King, I know, or whatever equivalent in the books, wasn't mentioned. So, not a villain then. 
that's uh, that's interesting. <laughs> but you oh, see yeah, how guy. it works. <laughs> you see, yeah, that guy. Yeah, you see how it works. We we don't we don't need Oopsie. to know. Is what, yeah. <laughs> True. Uh Because -huh. it, it's not. It's it's just a force of nature. You know, mm -hmm. might have been a villain at some point. You know, but um, it, 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 it's a different. Uh, I have uh, well, I thought of another uh, sort of again related to villain. It's again perception, reader perception. Have you ever had a very visceral negative reaction to a character in a book, where you understand and even respect and possibly even admire what the author is doing, but still every time you read about the character, you are like ah 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 blood pressure going up. Has that ever happened to any of you? Seriously, I think hmm. many visceral reactions in one, <laughs> which I, I think blame some people think the villain. The, sorry, sorry to interrupt, Susanna. I was going to say some people take the reading way too seriously. I've I've seen some booktubers do reviews where they are genuinely upset because something nasty has happened to a character, and it's like. You do realize that it is a fictional character in a work of fiction. Like you don't have to be upset because someone got raped or killed or, or whatever. So, like, don't get me wrong, I've cried reading this world. So I do, like, I am capable of feeling emotions. But <laughs> on the main, I don't think that reading books is where I'm going to experience the whole range of the two emotions that I'm capable of, I think. I don't know. Fair enough. Okay. Maybe I'm the crazy one once again. We'll You're be the dead first inside. Time. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was partially dead inside. But... Wow, okay. Thank you, Parameter. Wow, that's... that's... <laughs> That, that's, that's the level now. Okay, okay. Um, uh, for me, uh, again, for people who know, it's a character whose name starts with K in uh, Life Ship Traders. And it's not the one who comes in first. Not the first K. There are two Ks. Uh, it's not the first K. It's the second K uh, who assumes a particular role in the third book. I was just so, I, like, I'm still mad. I cannot uh, talk without my um, voice getting elevated. Like, I have to artificially tell myself, Paramita, calm down, calm down, fictional character. I just want to, like, throw the book <laughs> and scream in rage. Like, that was my, my very visceral reaction. Uh, the other one, I think, which I've mentioned, uh, I think I mentioned it briefly in the previous episode is, where I appreciated very much what the author was doing throughout, but I shuddered throughout was uh, Lolita by Nabokov. It was terrifying to read. Uh, I think I think Lolita qualifies as a horror novel mm. for the reaction it elicits in the reader. Well, I, I I have to read that book. It's, it's really thanks to you it it bumped on my TBR. I mean I enjoyed the movie and I really need to read the book. Um, but yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll hold my judgment until then. 
So I think somebody mentioned Batman has the best villains. Is that why he doesn't kill any of them? Who has the best villains? <laughs> so, you guys are so great, I can't kill you. So it's like this is something that's always kind of bothered me about Batman. How many people have died? How many innocent people have died because he refuses to kill? Exactly. Yeah. Good point. That's a fucking good point. And, and, and that is a problem with many heroes. When you actually think about it, the amount of that they caused by, you know, trying to do the right thing or, or well if you don't want to be if you don't want to kill don't be a hero heroes they <laughs> need to be a bit more pro- <laughs> that's that's my opinion uh, it, it's it's funny because uh like uh, at least two members on the panel are part of the street along like this is why i'm irritated with arathon and wars of light and shadow up to where i am i'm like do something <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so frustrated with him. Have, have either of you felt that way, Steve, Jared, sometimes, or do you get where he's coming from? Yeah, no, I haven't felt frustrated. I I get where he's coming from. Um, he also, uh, well, we'll see where it goes with the next book. I, yeah. I um, I haven't. Uh, I haven't written him off yet as as a as a um, a hopeless guy who uh, just keeps you know making the wrong the wrong choices or what have you. Because uh, I, I, th- there's been a lot of subtle hints that if he does let go, like we would want him to, then other things will go horribly wrong. So mm. there's a reason for him holding back, and I know there is. There's got to be, and I know what's going to be. Uh, it's going to be revealed soon. I just have that feeling. Okay. I think, uh, apologies for. Yeah, go ahead. Steve. No, go ahead, Suzanne. I'm sorry. I, I was just going to say, uh, apologizing for bringing the the wheel of time, but Rand <laughs> is a good example of that. That's so true. But poor I mean, Rand. That's the most for him. powerful magic user. Is is a god in that world, and he spends how many books just denying, moaning, holding back, and then, uh, and then some, it, it, and eventually kind of, you know, loses control and, oh, what have I done? Oh, and more moaning. Uh, it, it would have been a more interesting series if, you know, if, if he was the villain, I think. I, I would love to have read The, the Wheel <laughs> of Time, like the, the previous era, you know, just when it was a dragon. Yeah, I, think, okay. I think it would be more, much more interesting because that killed me. So, yeah, I think it was the hardest thing to get through in the book. I I feel bad for Rand at times, but I do agree that the point was uh, belabored too much. Very, I I Mm. totally agree with that. And that's where my frustration, I think, with uh, Wheel of Time is that I think there is a very good six to seven book series somewhere in that 14 books. But how or what or where... I, I cannot pinpoint. I, I simply cannot as a reader. That would be a huge... And so what yeah. I have is... <laughs> That'd be a huge project <laughs> that, to actually break that down into where you want it. <laughs> yeah. And and it would be so personal because there are some people who are irritated by some characters. There are mm. some people who are frustrated with other characters. But I very much agree because I like the premise of what Jordan wanted to do that if an ordinary person is suddenly told you have to save the world or 
everything goes to hell that would, that that could be like devastating for someone's mind which is something that actually lord of the rings it's true like frodo he rises to the occasion he thinks about the shire he thinks about who he cares for and he just goes with it but not everybody would be able to do that and so jordan wanted to explore that but i agree with susanna that it just went the way it was done was just prolonged too much do do much and it didn't help that none of the factions listened to him everybody's just we <laughs> do our own thing and rand is like oh my god <laughs> mm-hmm. some something i've i've noticed um i think more so in the last 10 or 15 years since marvel has been a thing unfortunately um is that people attach themselves to characters like for instance in man of steel spoiler alert for man of steel for a 10 12 year old movie when he kills zod there was a big uproar of oh my superman doesn't kill even though he was saving innocent people there was this big deal about why like superman just wouldn't ever do that that's not my superman or when batman and batman versus superman hurts or kills people there's a big thing about oh batman will never do that like do you know batman like why do you like he's not your character he's not he doesn't belong to you it's just a interpretation of a character it's a guy in a suit calm down but i'm wondering why do we why do some people attach themselves to characters and become such so offended i guess you can say when the character isn't portrayed in a way that they want what what is it in our minds or some people's minds that 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 kind of flip that switch that they become so attached what what is that i think I <laughs> Go on, Parmita. Go on. <laughs> so such a such a because uh, like I'm going to give an example of uh, something where I'm genuinely at, I'm still attached to it. I know it's childish, but I'm still attached to it, which is the Harry Potter fandom. I grew up with those books, and uh, part of the appeal of Harry Potter, I believe, as it was being written, was that we, I mean, as Harry grew and his friends grew up, we grew up with. them enter cursed child cursed child uh, for those who have read it uh, th- there are world building issues but one thing which it did is it took these characters they are aged up okay and uh, time changes everything but it like sort of dismantled every single thing and i when i say every single thing i mean this i mean every single thing that we liked about them as teenagers and gave no reason whatsoever as to why it was it was a plot device and so when lot of readers myself included and uh, it was marketed as the hidden harry potter eighth harry potter book and i i i was quite old i was in my mid 20s at that time and of course i went and i got the hard cover immediately and uh, so we we when we read this story it was such a betrayal it felt like such a betrayal to these characters that we know uh, so to answer your question now to the point steve is once the work of fiction is out in the market the characters belong to us readers their interpretation belong to us readers they are no longer in the hands of the author 
they assume a life of their own which is formed by the reader of the work and so when a follow up work is published which dismantles that then it this sort of this this idea of the characters that has been built into our collective consciousness of course everybody has their own minor interpretations but the larger broad strokes when it dismantles those it really hurts it really really hurt and i think that's where the visceral reaction for me came from i i i just gave away cursed child like not even to a used bookstore i was like this should be used for scrap <laughs> and and that's a very very sad thing for me to say about a book but i genuinely think it was insulting to the original seven harry potter books like it's like why why so i i do relate to maybe not the language i wouldn't say it that way like not my batman but Yeah that was not Harry Potter. Mm. That is not Harry Potter. I Okay now I've ranted freely please someone else. No <laughs> I I agree with Parameter mm. and I mean yeah it's a I mean you can always relativize and um you know it's just a character why do you care? But you know if we apply that logic to everything we end up in more of relativism and why do we care about anything? And I think Parameter's right. There are people that have grown up with these characters. There are people, you know, you talk about the Marvel universe. There are people that have been reading the comics for God knows how many decades. So they know these characters sometimes even better than the people that have written mm-hmm. them. And then now comes Marvel Studios or whatever. And they reinterpret and they, you know, they do their interpretation of the character. But it's not true to the to the law. and i think it something means something to you 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 naturally care that it is not what you know and that doesn't make you wrong and it doesn't make their interpretation wrong but if you're trying to sell a product which is a marvel movie your market is the marvel geeky nerd that knows the thing inside out and he'll drag everyone else along but if you piss off that core audience it's you're not doing a good job it's the same with the rings of power thing they hired a tolkien scholar to help them and to you know advise them on on the project and they ended up firing him because they didn't like what he said because they just wanted their version of middle earth for the rings of power show um so i think um you know you people are entitled to care about what they care and if they don't like what someone that has just arrived has done it's okay for them to say so uh, adaptations sometimes become law as well i'm going to tell you a true story uh, back when i started writing uh, weird gods i was part of this uh, critique group so one of the first drafts i showed i got feedback from a better reader and uh, it's going to be forever seared in my memory that uh, it, it was a mistake telling me that it was it was a mistake to portray loki as a father uh and uh, didn't i know that uh, hell was his sister not his daughter uh <laughs> and and this was a group that i thought you know would be the right audience for my books because they were marvel fans hmm. right uh completely backfired 
So, um, yeah, uh, some people don't care about the original material at all. They just care about the story. And that becomes the version that, you know, is canon. You know, I'm not saying that it's a majority. I know that that was just, you know, minority idiot, I think. I hope. God, I don't know. Um, but um, <laughs> just these days, I wonder, with, with all the, after all the movies, you know, maybe everyone or, or the majority of people think that Loki and Thor were brothers. I don't know. But yeah, that happened. So hmm. uh, do whatever you want with the story because you're never going to please everyone. Everyone is going to have, you know, it, it, it's not about the story. It's, uh, it's the personality of the reader. So some people just cannot um, fit two different versions of the same story in their heads at all. You know, they, they read something they like and it has to be like that, you know, repetition of the same again, again, again. Any deviation would, you know, it's sacrilege. You know, well, all religions mm. are built on such things, if I may say so. There, there's a whole book about it, the most read book in the world. <laughs> yeah, but back, but I mean, back to that the Superman killing Zod question, Steve. Uh, I, I'm wondering who the people were that were raising the biggest outcry. Um, because uh, you know Superman's been around for eighty years or whatever, whatever has been, and I I find it hard to believe that there's never been a suit a story in all that time where Superman had never either was forced to kill somebody or something, you know, to save billions of lives or millions of lives, whatever, and uh, you know, so I, I'm wondering like how many people were was just a vocal minority who was outraged or you know that's usually the case on on you know online forums and stuff like that it's always a vocal minority but uh it, i'm, I'm kind of curious about that because i think most people weren't that affected by it they just enjoyed the movie for what it was and um you know that uh you know it, and there was a you know there was a lot of I thought the scene was okay. I thought it was well done. It, there was a lot of anguish and a lot, you know, a lot of emotion involved in the scene and stuff like that. And uh, it didn't bother me. I've been reading comics for fifty years, so yeah, <laughs> you know, it's uh, well, like in in BVS when Batman uses a gun, he uses like the whatever gun shot, and it's like Batman would never use a gun. Like, yeah, I heard that one too. Yeah. Just, He'd never use a gun. Just don't watch yeah. it then. Like, if it offends you that much, just don't watch it. Just skip them. I don't know. No, I agree with that part, uh, Steve, that, uh, you know, we, sh we should not. I mean, I, I, that, that, that is what I did. Like, I distanced myself from the franchise and I won't continue. But I completely agree that we should not, uh, you know, spew mm. hatred or vitriol in any manner towards anyone who is trying to create art even if it is a version of art that we don't agree with. But uh, yeah, sometimes it hurts. And I'm, I'm so sad that nobody on the panel took this opportunity to mention like Daenerys Targaryen and who better than Bran. <laughs> we, we try not to think about it. Yeah, we try to, yeah. <laughs> we I'm trying to block that out. I'm trying to scrub it from memory. Yeah. <laughs> Forget. How successful okay. was the blocking? <laughs> 
Oh, man. Oh, pardon me. I, I am reading Dance of the Dragons. I am rereading Dance of the Dragons now. Uh, very slowly, be just enjoying yeah. it. And I'm, I'm, I'm just... Yeah. It makes me... I, I have to read slowly because it makes me so angry. So many missed opportunities, man. Mm. On so many levels. It's like, <laughs> how? Why? Let's oh. see if I can catch up to you. Moving on. <laughs> oh, I know it's getting late for some of you around all around the world, but uh, yeah, it was fun. It's always fun. So thanks everyone for hanging out and coming by and talking about Batman killing people and and uh, all kinds of fun <laughs> stuff. And uh, yeah. and Cost Child is not yeah, good. Yeah. Take it from Wheel of Time. <laughs> yeah, Song of Ice and Fire mythology. You guys keep bringing it up when I'm here, and it's just it's just you, you're all in it. <laughs> it's a conspiracy let's get him yeah mm-hmm. so uh in the mean but in the meantime uh susanna where can people find you uh everywhere if you google my name you'll find me i'm but i'm mostly um hanging around on page showing forum or twitter as chronodendron still hanging on huh <laughs> still yeah, persevering. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Parmita. Uh, the best place to find me is the page chewing forums. I'm there almost uh, every day. Thank you. Thanks for coming. And uh, Jose. Yeah, I can be found on the uh, Jose's Amazing Worlds uh, YouTube channel and on the page chewing forums. Thank you. Yes. And uh, Jared. Yes, I uh, I see Parameter on the page chewing form every day, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and um, confirmed. I'm there too. <laughs> I'm mostly watching, but uh, <laughs> I uh, I'm also have my YouTube channel, The Fantasy Thinker, and uh, so you can contact me through those many means. <laughs> awesome! Thanks again so much. I'm glad we made it. Sorry about last week. It was uh, it was weird having a Friday without visiting with all of you. So it's good to be back. Thank you so much for having me again. It's always fun. Anytime. So we'll see everyone uh, next week. We'll decide. We'll figure something out. What we're topic will be. We got man. Maybe (laughs) (laughs) we'll figure it out. (laughs) Have a great weekend, everyone. Bye. Bye.